0: Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Later in the program, Bell's decision to change the tail rotor on its Invictus 360 aircraft for the U.S. Army's Future Armed Reconnaissance Aircraft Competition. But first, joining us now is Andy Green, president of the technical solutions business of Huntington Ingalls Industries, who just today concluded its acquisition of defense services company Allian for $1.65 billion, uh, the largest transaction for Huntington Ingalls Industries, doubling the size of the company's uh, technical services operation to more than 7,000 people. uh, And uh, that together will compose uh, 25% of HII's revenues going forward. Andy, welcome to the program and thanks so very much for joining us and congratulations.
1: Thanks, Fago. Uh, Very happy to join you. As I said, uh, we're very excited about this transaction and bringing the Allian team uh, into the HII family and look forward to chatting with you about it. Uh,
0: An absolute uh, pleasure, and there's obviously a lot to discuss. But before we get started, our global coverage is sponsored by Leonardo DRS. Northrop Grumman sponsors our weekly cyber report, and our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical System sponsors our coverage of strategy. And Huntington Ingalls Industries and General Electric Marine sponsored our coverage of the Navy League's recent Sea Airspace Conference and Trade Show, and Finn Contieri Marinette Marine sponsors our naval coverage. Uh, Andy, we were lucky, uh, caught up with Mike Penners, your president and CEO, talked a little bit about uh, some of the concerns that people on Wall Street have about the uh, HII's expansion into technical uh, service. He certainly made uh, a case uh, for the deal and building on the fact that you guys have a track record in this in this market and have been methodical in, in growing talk to us a little bit about how you're going to be integrating the alliance side of the business uh, with a number of other businesses that you guys have been uh, acquiring as well as some of your uh, organic uh, capability and what that does for your growth going forward right as you look out say five years
1: absolutely well well thanks again vago and and I'll walk you through that when, when you look at it broadly, uh, we, we've been looking at at this potential transaction uh, for quite a while, and and in our view, a lion and what they've been doing in a lion uh, for for the for the past uh, you know five to ten years aligns extremely well with what we've been looking to accomplish uh, with our strategy around growing the technical solutions division, and it's a strategy that we articulated back last year during the investor day, and when you look at what a lion does, it it lines up perfectly with that strategy. So when we think about bringing these two businesses together, there is, there is a, a, a lot of similarity in the businesses uh, that, that make, it, make it a very logical combination. When you think about what Alliance has been doing uh, in the ISR space and cyber and AI and data analytics, uh, the, the advanced training uh, and simulation uh, they've been doing for the Navy, uh, the spectrum warfare, it, it aligns actually very well uh, with what we're doing. Uh, and we think it's gonna be a great fit. So, so we're gonna be bringing these businesses together you know, over the next few months. You know, there's certainly all the back office stuff that you gotta do and all the systems related stuff you gotta do to bring two businesses together. But fundamentally and strategically, they're also a very good fit. As you're aware, uh, we've been pretty active in this space In shaping the portfolio, we've not only done a number of acquisitions in in building up our our position in the ISR space, for example, uh, through the Fulcrum acquisition in the cyber space uh, with the G2 acquisition or the the unmanned system space through the acquisition of Hydroid and the autonomy business of spatial integrated systems, uh, as well as our investment in C-machines. We continue to make investments around some key technologies in, in key markets that we believe align us perfectly with uh, w- with our national security priorities uh, and, and in specific, uh, the Navy customer. Um, you know, it's certainly not limited to the Navy customer, but as you know, at HII, the Navy uh, is, is our largest single corporate customer. And we believe this acquisition aligns us well with what the Navy's trying to do. So. So when you think about how this positions us uh, for growth going forward, it positioned, it gives us strong positions, you know, in the areas of C5ISR and, a, and, and AI and, and, and training and cyber and data analytics, et cetera. So, some key markets that have a lot of strong growth characteristics and that we think we're gonna be able to take advantage of because we've got differentiated solutions within those markets. You know, we're not trying to be all things to all people. We're trying to compete right. in areas where we can differentiate ourselves in specific markets for specific customers.
0: Uh, well, let me uh, take you to the competitive dynamic, right? I mean, there were those who saw uh, HII's expansion into oil uh, services. Um, obviously, there was a timing issue there. The oil market collapsed a bit, so that was problematic. But there are some folks who point to that and say, hey, does this company fully understand the risks of this marketplace before expanding into it? I think I know the answer to this question, Andy, but I, I wanted to ask that because a good Wall Street friend, a couple of Wall Street friends of mine have, have raised that question. And then this, the, the associated question is, how do you compete against the likes of Booz Allen, Hamilton, Mantec, P-A-N-E, Lidos, uh, C-A-C-I, Mantec, for example, right? Um, these guys who are really heavyweights in this marketplace. Um, you know, Talk to us about the dynamic, do you guys understand fully the risk and what is it that differentiates you against these other bigger uh, competitors?
1: Uh, sure. A- absolutely. Both good questions. And, and I'll say, uh, you know, we'll start with the risk uh, that that's pretty straightforward. We, we certainly understand the risk in the government solution space. Uh, this, this is an area uh, that, that you may recall we've been operating in for several decades. It, it, we've had, uh, a, a position, uh, you know, we began uh, in uh, with our our Amsec subsidiary, uh, a, as well as the Continental Maritime San Diego, um, you know, ship repair facility. We got into we got into the services space through those several decades ago, right? So, so we understand this space. You know, we've been doing uh, logistics uh, services. We've been doing we've been doing training and simulation. Uh, and we had been doing fleet support for quite a while uh, before we started to expand. And this was even uh, before the acquisition uh, in the oil and gas space. You know, we, we had acquired uh, a, a company in the nuclear and environmental space that, that got us a foothold there. We also, uh, you know, follow after UPI, we, we made an acquisition, you know, in the unmanned space that led to the, the other acquisitions that, that I've already talked about, you know, Hydroid and, and SIS. Uh, we also uh, added on uh, to the basic AMSEC business, you know, by acquiring Camber uh, and, and acquiring a space uh, or a position, you know, in the ISR, Inter- enterprise IT space, uh, with the acquisition of Fulcrum, as well as G2 in the cyberspace. so. Th- so this is a place where we've been operating for, for at least a couple of decades. We've done a number of transactions in this area. We've divested some businesses that, that didn't align with the markets that we were going after. or didn't meet uh, sort of the, the growth or margin characteristics that we were looking for. So we feel like we understand this space pretty well. And bringing a lion on board, uh, it a- absolutely fits with what we've been trying to do and what we articulated so when you think about going forward, you know, how do we compete? It's a good question. It, it, it's, a, it, it's a competitive space, and you really have to be able to differentiate yourself and your solutions to be to compete effectively you know, in the government solution space. So the, the companies you mentioned, you know, certainly uh, you know well-regarded, formidable competitors, and uh, and certainly comprised of, of people that are focused on. Uh, making sure that that our war fighters can can complete their their missions around national security, just as we are, I, I can tell you that we can com- we can compete with these folks because we bring differentiated solutions to the table, and we've been doing it successfully already. If you're, you recall, we were already a billion dollar business, you know, with with Alion, you know, in in the portfolio. We become, you know, roughly a two and a half billion dollar business that's growing pretty rapidly. You know, we're we're not in, we're not of a size where we can't compete uh, with competitors, uh, like you mentioned before. And the way we do it, frankly, is by making sure, you know, that we choose our markets, we choose where we want to be, you know, what we want to provide, the the different uh, capabilities that where we can bring differentiated solutions. We're not out there going for scale for scale sake, just going after everything that we possibly can simply because we have capability everywhere. That's not what we're doing. We're targeting the areas that I described before. And we have differentiated solutions in those areas that'll make us successful.
0: Um, let me uh, ask you, uh, got uh, two questions. I want to ask how this uh, helps your core business in a, in, a, in a moment. But talk to us a little bit, Andy, about what your growth uh, strategy is, right? I mean, we're, is there a percentage number you want to hang on this in terms of where you want to be in five years and uh, are there more acquisitions in the pipeline in order to sort of bulk up your capabilities?
1: Yeah. So that's a good question. So when you think about growth over the next several years, you know, we, we've talked publicly about being in the, in the mid single digits. And, and I think that's, that's uh, you know, all, all I can say, you know, at this point, I can tell you that uh, the, uh, the, one of the attractive things about the Alliant acquisition is that, is that they do have strong positions in some pretty high growth markets. Uh, and we, we're very confident that we'll be able to, to, uh, uh, to, to meet the objectives that we described uh, to Wall Street that you know, Mike and, and Tom uh, talked about during, during the call relate to the Alliant acquisition. So we're pretty comfortable uh, that we'll be able to hit those targets.
0: Let me let me take you uh, to the question of how uh, this uh, bigger, stronger technical services business is is actually beneficial for your core shipbuilding business that still constitutes seventy five percent of the company's revenue, uh, whether it's for aircraft carrier, submarine, amphibious ship, or 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 destroyer manufacturer. What what are the technical services skill sets that help in house deliver? better for your Navy cult customer, which you, you mentioned is, you know, obviously one of your most important priorities, e- even as you've added, you know, billion dollar Air Force contract and a number of other really uh, surprising wins for a lot of people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Allion brings in, in technical solutions in total, you know, bring some capabilities to the broader HII uh, that, that, that facilitates success in a, in a couple of different ways. You know, when you think about it internally, you know we bring a lot of capability uh, that can be utilized internally you know by our sister divisions uh, you know ingalls shipbuilding uh and, and newport news in, in virginia so we bring and especially with a lion on board you know we bring some capabilities uh, around things like big data and data analytics and training solutions that that are, are not only good for our customer and been, have been highly successful being delivered to our customer, they're also good for us internally. We can, we can use those capabilities internally to continue to improve operations, you know, at both of the shipyards. You, you know, when you when you think about it, you know, there are some things that that sometimes we go outside for that we can now do ourselves internally because we have that capability in-house. When you think about Uh, the production environment and and, and things like that. And, you know, where can you apply, for example, data analytics to ensure that we've got the most efficient production processes? Uh, You know, we can, we now have that ability to do that for ourselves. Same thing with cybersecurity and big data uh, architecture. We have the ability to do that for ourselves. So there's an internal component uh, that, that that I think is pretty important when you think about how it fits into HII. I can tell you that that the shipyards, when they learn what their sister division and technical solutions can do, they absolutely can't get enough because they see the value that it brings to the rest of the business. In addition, when you think about externally what the acquisition brings, it brings us additional capability uh, that to that augments what we're already doing with the shipyards for the Navy. And and this this is where where you get into things like like distributed maritime operations. You know, that's a broad concept. I I know uh, you're familiar with it. Um, But it's something that with the Alliant acquisition, it allows us to, to effectively deliver Virtually all the key elements uh, that the Navy's looking for in their vision for for DMO. When you think about the unmanned the, the platforms, for example, unmanned unmanned platforms, whether it's surface or subsurface, the manned platforms, we have a, a very strong positions across all of that. The the sensors and the data coming off of, of those sensors and the ability to process that data and come up with the right data architectures and the networks that can move that data around in an efficient way and use AI tools to apply to that data to enable real-time decision-making capability at the edge. That's what DMO is all about. And that's something where we now have technical capability across the spectrum of elements for DMO. We also... When you think about the advanced military training and, and, and simulation work that we're doing for the Navy, you know, we can, we can continue to expand that, you know, not, you know within the Navy and, and within the shipyards and the work that we do within the shipyards, training crews to be on these new ships and capital warships that we're building. So there, there's just a whole host of opportunity to leverage these capabilities Uh, in the HII business and with HII customers.
0: Uh, Andy, Fairwinds Following Seas, uh, and look forward to staying in touch uh, going uh, forward and uh, uh, absolute pleasure uh, talking to you. Thanks so very much, especially on such a busy day for you guys. Congratulations again.
1: You're quite welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: very quick word uh, from our sponsors, uh, General Motors Defense sponsors, our coverage of technology and L3 Harris sponsors, our joint all domain command and control uh, coverage. Earlier this year, we visited Bell's facilities in Texas, where we saw the company's Invictus 360 helicopter for the Army's future armed reconnaissance aircraft competition under production in Amarillo. That is a first article of the airplane. At the time, we discussed whether the tail of the aircraft might change, and that is exactly what's happened. Joining us to discuss uh, the design change and bring us up to speed on the program is Chris Gaylor, the vice president and program director at Bell for the company's Invictus 360 aircraft. He is a United States Army veteran Chris, thanks so very much for joining us.
2: Bobo, thanks for having me. Happy to be on. Uh,
0: absolute pleasure uh, having you uh, uh, on and and talking to you. So let's uh, talk very quickly about the tail uh, redesign. Um, where do you guys stand on the moment at that? What was the moment that triggered it? Why did you make the change? And what are the advantages uh, for having done so? Because at the time, I think the question was, you know, taking out structure, taking out complexity, taking out weight. Uh, but what is it that triggered you guys to do that? And what are the advantages of doing it?
2: First, I think the uh, the one of the first concerns that uh, drove us to consider the uh, ducted tail was safety. So Safety and performance in the mission uh, kind of went hand in hand in the uh, original concepts of what we were doing. And as we uh, got further into uh, working through the requirements and understanding more about what the Army wanted to do, uh, we, we began to look at, relook those options. So uh, started with, with safety and performances first, knew that the airplane would, uh, would perform pretty well with the open, or with the ducted tail on it. Uh, but then, as more requirements became apparent, uh, we started to, to rethink that. So in 2018, and you know that fair is on a very fast schedule, and so we, the Army wants to fly before they buy. Uh, so we moved out in doing that, uh, in building the aircraft, and designing the aircraft, and building the aircraft. And really, as those requirements became uh, better known, we at Bell uh, discussed it with our engineers and and leadership and decided really kind of early on that we wanted to go ahead and have a, uh, a redesign on the tail to provide greater performance and growth path for the Army. As you said, I'm an Army veteran. I flew Kyle Warriors. The Kyle Warrior was kind of tapped out from the very beginning on its performance, and we wanted to have an aircraft in our Farrah Invictus, the 360 Invictus that had a lot of growth path for the Army. And so while the ducted tail performed well and performed to our uh, modeling, uh, we really wanted to have greater growth. And so with the open tail, you have less drag, less weight, uh, greater efficiency uh, in the use of the power. And so there's really more growth potential for the aircraft. And when we were thinking that the, the aircraft might be one thing the ducted tail was fine. In fact, I believe and you know, that the ducted tail will find its way onto one of our other aircraft, probably a, probably a twin uh, or, or a commercial single that, that doesn't have the same type of requirements as Farrah does. Uh, so nothing really wrong with the ducted tail, but really thinking about the Army mission, more growth for the future and better performance from the get-go.
0: Um, you guys, uh, and, and all of that is logical. And in fact, right, uh, our, our weekly business roundtable, and uh, one of them is Dr. Ron Epstein, one of our participants at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, and he was a PhD aerodynamicist before he uh, went to Wall Street. And that was one of the things that from the very beginning was a little bit of a discussion we had. Uh, while there is there a safety factor and element to it, right, it, it does uh, take a little bit more power, there's more weight, there's more structure and and a little bit more uh, complexity on that. And, and obviously it's a one and a half engine helicopter, right? With the with main power plant and then, and then a booster engine to, to help you on top speed. What happens now to that prototype? What are the changes you do to it? How easily do you transform the back end of that airplane into the airplane that you need? Because obviously this is one of the airplanes that the army is gonna end up flying. How do, you, how, do you, uh, how do you make this transplant and do it in a way that's seamless uh, to the Army customer, given there's a lot riding on that flight test? Yeah, absolutely.
2: the uh, First, we are doing it on the competitive prototype. So we made the change and design uh, the decision early enough to incorporate it on the competitive prototype. And I think, as you know, we have our uh, new manufacturing technology center here at Bell, where we're able to do some of our rapid prototyping. And we are doing a lot of the airframe-type structure of the tail that uh, needs to be done inside of that facility. And so we at Bell were able to uh, kind of control the timing and process of that. And so uh, that that center is up and running and providing us with the, uh, the, the, the structure pieces. And so there's really, if you think about the aircraft going back to uh, around the horizontal stabilizer, there's a bulkhead back there, and it's basically bolt. Off the, the ducted tail, bolt on the open tail right. is a little bit more than that, but but essentially we kind of on the competitive prototype have, have limited to that. And then there's some some uh, drivetrain uh, pieces, drive shaft that that changes a little bit with the the, the gearboxes that would uh, support uh, the open tail. But uh, open tail is uh, you know existing tail rotor that we have uh, on Bell platforms that uh, we're very familiar with. For the competitive prototype. Uh, we may uh improve that, and when I say improve from competitive to ink one, make it lighter uh and, and even more efficient. So the name of the game with Farah is really about efficiency and weight reduction as well as simplicity and low cost. So that is really the whole proposition on 360 and uh, the open tail. Lends itself to that, and we're making the change on CP. Uh, it will fly in twenty-three with the open tail.
0: Uh, and I, I should uh, point out, right? I mean, one of the important uh, priorities for the chief of staff of the United States Army, General Jim McConville, uh, an illustrious army aviator who began his uh, career, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Chris on H ones on AH ones uh, on the on the Cobra attack helicopter, is is something that is more simple, more reliable, more available aircraft. Uh, that the uh, that the army uh, can 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 use um what are some other changes you guys are considering to the uh, aircraft at this point i mean you know you did you did the tail rotor which for many people would be but would be a significant change even if it is much more of a bolt-on and it's a five two five rotor if i'm uh, correct right it's the tail rotor from your five two five that you're uh incorporating Yes, yeah, so
2: what what we're flying on the the competitive prototype is the five two five tail rotor. Uh, we're making some changes to it, it'll be inverted from the way it's uh, on the 525, it's on the other side. And uh, so a few little changes there on that 525 piece, which is a fully articulated tail rotor, uh, don't necessarily need it to be all of that for uh, for what we're looking for in increment one. And so we're looking for uh, less complexity and, uh, and lighter weight as we go forward into increment one.
0: What are some other changes you guys are considering at this point? I mean, are you using this uh, to sort of hit other reset buttons or are you pretty comfortable and confident with the design you have uh, elsewhere across the platform?
2: Yeah, so this this change, as you said, is not, uh, it may may seem like it's a big change Uh, here at Bell. It's not that big of a change. We're able to easily handle this. We have uh, many different uh, things that we are looking to improve slightly, if you will from the competitive prototype to increment one. So a lot of design decisions uh, that we're making that uh, from the uh, outside looking in, there's, there's little change uh, in the engineering and some of the structure pieces. What we're doing is just working to make the aircraft uh, lighter from competitive prototype to increment one so that there is more uh, performance for, for the Army. So whatever we did in, in terms of uh, speed, in the initial design pieces in the, uh, to get the competitive prototype flying, we're just validating that. And as we get better engineering and, and even flight test data, rolling that information back in to make our components lighter. So that is kind of the big effort is to make the aircraft, uh, lighter. And then there are some things that, because the competitive prototype isn't necessarily going to, uh, incorporate all of the mission equipment that would need to be on the uh, reconnaissance and attack uh, platform there are those aspects that we're uh, taking more time now to integrate those pieces. Uh, from, uh, from uh, you know an overall standpoint of the, of the aircraft uh, there's not significant changes there we, we, you may see some change on the landing gear from an outside view looking in, uh, to make it lighter. And again, all of it, uh, as you know, as I've said here before that the Farah 360 Invictus, the Bell 360 Invictus is about less being less complex and having, uh, you know, a lower operating cost to be able to be up all the time and be that, be that Kyle warrior that, that used to be out there, that type of a, Right. Uh, a Bell product that, that can fly all the time, high up uh, percentage and, and do the mission very cheaply. And these efforts that we're doing to you know reduce weight and, and just adds to the performance of the aircraft and, and the other aspects are, are really to incorporate the mission kit uh, that'll keep it uh, very operational, operational for quite a long time.
0: Um, and and obviously, right? I mean, the lighter it is, the more payload, the more gas you can carry. Very quickly, yeah. how much weight are you talking about, Chris? Right? I mean, when so, so that you know, there are people out there who are now doubtless wondering, like, well, I mean, how much weight are we talking about? It's significant. How much weight is it? Um, and you know, and if you can give us sort of in comparison to the gross weight or gross planned weight of the aircraft, how much of a weight savings are we talking about?
2: Well, we're talking uh, over a thousand pounds that we have uh, already. Uh, work to get out of the airplane and we'll we'll continue to, to push that and there'll, there'll be more.
0: For, for our audience, uh, right, it's a thousand pounds. That's a significant uh, difference. It can be applied to uh, fuel, to weapons, uh, to other payloads. I don't want to necessarily get into some of the classified aspects, but there are going to be electronic payloads that are going to be class, uh, carried on this platform as well. Can you give the audience... 1000 pounds of what right i mean i think the army has talked about a 14000 pound airplane i think that that's sort of full up mission weight is, is that the kind of ballpark that we're talking about at this point
2: yes for a uh, operating weight 14000 plus or minus uh, class and and so when we're talking about reducing weight we're talking about reducing weight out of the the empty weight of the aircraft so that we can have the the greatest amount of uh, fuel and payload uh, to then uh, have that uh, upper limit in that 14,000 plus or minus category uh, for, for the greatest amount of performance that they can have.
0: Talk to us about your systems integration lab, right? Um, you guys have built this in order to support both VARA and FLORA. What's the role that it plays uh, in the program that may be not as obvious to people as you'd like it to be?
2: So our systems integration lab is essentially aircraft zero, if you think about it, from how we have a, there's a pilot station, a cockpit that uh, links into the flight control computers, that links into the avionics, the uh, hydraulics, the actuation, and essentially we are in the power models. We are essentially flying that aircraft, developing uh, the control laws, developing the emergency procedures, actually the standard procedures, and then the emergency procedures. We're able to do fault injection testing, uh, put the aircraft, if you will, Uh, the actuation and and how we would control the aircraft uh, through uh, its paces and do fault injection to to see how uh, you would react and how how the aircraft would react as well as how the pilots would react in in certain situations that you wouldn't necessarily want to actually do in the air. But everything that we will do on the first flight and flights beyond with competitive prototype. And with the aircraft beyond that, we will fly in the systems integration lab first. And so that's the concept of uh, uh, aircraft zero. It gets you to uh, first flight safely. It gets you to second flight and beyond very quickly because you've been able to uh, foresee kind of the issues uh, with the aircraft in the systems integration lab, adjust there, and then bring those back into uh, the aircraft. This is a fly-by-wire you know, very modern fly-by-wire aircraft. And so uh, tweaking the flight control computers um, and how they interact with the actuation and hydraulics, the engine, uh, the avionics is all very important. And doing that in the systems integration lab is a very safe way of doing it, but it uh, is also a way of uh, moving through uh, those uh, relatively directly and quickly, such that you don't have to do all of that work on the aircraft when you get to it. Uh, So it's a, uh, a safety factor, but also a time saver and one that, uh, uh, is able to, to do a lot of work before you ever get to the actual aircraft.
0: And just to uh, follow up on the schedule, you're going to be flying in 23. And if so, what's your target date at this point?
2: Yes, we will fly in uh, 2023. The army has, uh, uh kind of asked for that. That is what we're on schedule for. And, uh, I won't, uh, say exactly when in 2023, but we want to have enough time in 2023 to complete our flight test program, uh, to, uh, demonstrate what we need to for the army. And so, uh, into, into the early part of 2023,
0: uh, we think we'll be flying and uh, we're on track for that. And you expect no cost or schedule impact from this change from the
2: open tail. No, we have, uh, Absorbed uh, that in the schedule already, and we're still on track uh, uh, to uh, fly in 2023, so no schedule impact.
0: And cost impact?
2: Uh, there's a little bit of cost in that we uh, did uh, build some of the uh, duct to tail, but not uh, to the Army. This is all uh, inside of uh, Bell, uh, but uh, really no, no change to my top line uh, budget.
0: Boeing and Boeing Sikorsky are your competitors, both on the future uh, long-range assault uh, aircraft, as well as the future armed reconnaissance aircraft. Uh, There is a sense or more talk than I've heard in a while, sort of questioning the FARA piece of this. Um, and, and folks saying, well, there are a variety of different ways of executing the mission. I mean, obviously we're in a roles and missions discussion as the new administration or relatively new administration, uh, continues to develop its national security and out-year spending plans. Do do you have any, I mean, I know that FARA and FLORA as part of the future vertical lift program are very important to the United States army. Um, do you have any sense that either element of this program and certainly, you know, you're the FARA man is going to, is going to change at all? I,
2: I don't. I, I take, uh, you know, as you, I, I listen to what the Army says. The Army has said that this is kind of a future vertical lift ecosystem. You need to have them uh, working together, uh, along with other aspects, the uh, air launched effects and other things. But um, the, the flora system there is to uh, exploit what the FARA air, aircraft has been able to uh, open up, if you will. So from an ecosystem of a warfighting capability, I understand where the chief is at and where the army is at that the the farah is there to to bring a capability at a long range that doesn't exist in the legacy fleet in apaches and one that is uh in in our case a very uh low cost and effective way of doing that and so i think that both of them can exist together the army has said that and uh we're we at bell are working to support both Uh, with affordable uh, but very capable systems for the Army and we want to meet their needs and meet their timelines.
0: Uh, And I should point out to our audience that Glenn uh, Isbell, uh, who uh, leads your uh, new uh, manufacturing technology center, is going to be joining us uh, to talk about uh, the great work there. It was a pleasure uh, being down and visiting with you guys in Amarillo and certainly looking forward to coming back down uh, and visiting again. Chris, uh, best of luck on the program. Looking forward to staying in touch uh, as uh, things uh, move uh, ahead. And again, can't wait to see the airplane in person.
2: Great, Fago. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.